Hi, this is your host, Dale Josie, and welcome to my podcast series, Aging with Grace 55 Plus. Past episodes of this podcast series for upbeat seniors can be found and enjoyed on my website, awg55.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Given the midterm election cycles fast approaching, this special edition titled Vote Safe Kentucky is sponsored by AARP Kentucky. Today's transitions.com, where you can read articles that can help you navigate your own transitions. And DPL Financial Partners, committed to helping you plan for a secure financial future. More information can be found at dplfp.com. Thank you so much for stopping by as we discuss Vote Safe Kentucky. Like most states, uh, Kentucky has an election coming up uh, on Tuesday, November the 8th. And with so much information and misinformation roiling around from the last election, AARP Kentucky thought it would be a good idea to have a special edition featuring only the Secretary of State so that we can, in turn, address some of not only the uh, misinformation that's swirling around uh, on, so- on social media, online, but also provide some factual information to make sure that senior Kentuckians, actually all Kentuckians, right, that we can vote safe in Kentucky. With that said, I'm going to welcome Michael G. Adams back to our pro- to our interview this morning. Uh, Secretary of State Adams is Kentucky's 86th Secretary of State and the 77th person to serve in that role. After graduating from the University of Louisville, Michael attended Harvard Law School on low-income aid. After a stint as counsel to the U.S. Dep- Dep- Deputy Attorney General, In Washington, D.C., Michael began full-time private practice in election law, first as general counsel to Republican Governors Association, and later opening a national practice in the field. Inaugurated as Secretary of State on January 6, 2020, Michael first pushed his signature legislative issue, Kentucky's first photo ID to vote law. In 2021, He represented state legislators with the most ambitious election reform plan since 1891 as Michael G. Adams' work on making it easy to vote and hard to cheat began taking form in Kentucky. Against that backdrop, I'd like to say, Secretary of State, welcome to Aging with Grace. How are you this morning? I'm great, Dale. Thanks for having me back. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with this whole time of, like I said, of uh, just so much misinformation out there, it's really sad. Um, But, you know, like, for example, there's some information I want you to kind of go through a a few of those things. And I think at the basic level, let's start off with the mail-in absentee uh, votes, right? Because uh, the last time around during 2020, you guys paid for the vote with, with, with postage, but now we as voters are responsible for putting how many stamps on the envelope to make sure they get to you? Well, in 2020, uh, we applied for and were successful in getting millions of dollars in federal grants to cover the costs, some of the costs uh, of the election. Uh, And because the vast majority of our voters were voting absentee ballot in the primary in 2020, uh, the state ate the cost of that. We also had a significant number of voters using it in the general election, about 29%. 
So we, we sponsor the cost of that. Those funds are all spent, though. Uh, and the default position of the state budget and state law is that the voters responsible for sending uh, for mail for the cost of postage for sending any mail. But we don't pay for your stamp if you register to vote by mail, and we also don't pay for your ballot. Uh, I will uh, note that we have a very heavy ballot this year. We've got a very, very long ballot. We've got federal elections, state elections, local elections, and two constitutional amendments. Mm-hmm. We have to spell out every word of those amendments, and one of them alone is 744 words long. Wow. So wow. That means is a is a very long piece of paper, a very <clears throat> heavy piece of paper. So make sure you put two stamps on it if you choose to mail it back. You don't have to. You can certainly use the Dropbox that we've uh, made available to you if you prefer that. But if you do choose to mail your ballot in, make sure you put two stamps on it. Well, I think that's a that's a good rule of thumb in general. Um, and I think the other thing is, uh, I understand that there's going to be video surveillance, not of the voting process, listeners, not of you filling out your ballots. It's not what the cameras are there for. But Secretary of State uh, Adams, the cameras are not in use, uh, or excuse me, are only in use after the polls close. Is that correct? That's right. And, and here's why we had to do that. It used to be there was just one day to vote. So you wheeled the machines out at 6 a.m. and you wheeled them back in at 6 p.m. And that was the story. But something's different now, which is that we brought early voting to Kentucky. Now, Kentucky is like almost every other state where you've got multiple days to choose from to vote. Well, in light of that, we've got to have some security precautions for when the machines are not in use for the evenings and early mornings of those multiple days. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we also have to rely significantly on the private sector to make locations available. The government doesn't own all these polling locations. It's churches, it's it's convention centers, and so forth. And so we've got to have some kind of security. Uh, And the most feasible way to do that is it's just not feasible to have individual uh, security officers at every location. So instead, mm-hmm. we're putting video surveillance on these locations. It's just during non-voting hours to make sure that we don't have anyone trying to sneak in and tamper with the machine or stuff ballots. Yeah, yeah. Sad that we have to anticipate that, but that is a reality. Um, you know that that people that because voting. And here's the other thing: when you're talking, Secretary Adams, uh, I think that voters we have to understand something. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, you take responsibility to vote, right? Because otherwise, you, in my humble opinion, you negate the right to complain if you're not participating, you know? I mean, that's just a general rule across the board, I would say. Sure, and, and I'll also know that we expect a low turnout election. Uh, it's it's possible uh, that that will be, uh, that will be uh, true, that we'll have a high turnout based on one of the constitutional amendments, uh, which could generate some turnout. So far, mm-hmm. there's no indication that it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will probably be a, a regular midterm election in which we'll see about 40 percent of voters actually vote. When you're dealing with a low turnout election, your vote just matters all that much more. You have really disproportionate impact on the results. So make sure you use that right. That's really good. That's really good. I think the other thing is that we want to uh, talk about some myth busting. And, and if folks want to visit your website, which is what, Secretary Adams? Uh, we are at sos.ky.gov. Thank you, sir. And so uh, if people want this, if you want to go to the website, you will see on there a, a list of uh, myths pertaining to, in terms of addressing questions that people may have or that people think they know. For example, uh, in Kentucky, uh, our voting equipment is never connected to the internet. 
uh, and is tabulated by a county board of elections using a calculator, meaning the internet has nothing to do with counting election totals. Can you talk us through that, Mike, uh, Secretary Adams, including how tabulations of the voting machines are done? Yeah, this is one of those urban legends that just won't seem to die. Uh, we do not connect our voting machines, our, our ballot scanners to the internet. There, number one, there's no good reason to do that. I don't know why anyone would ever do that. Uh, number two, we couldn't do it if we wanted to because the machines don't have modems. They're just counters. Uh, they're just like the machines that your high school uses uh, to run the Scantron multiple choice test through and grade them. I mean, they're just simple, simple little machines. Number three, it's against the law. It's actually a felony to try to connect any one of these machines to the internet. You can't tamper with the machines. It's a felony. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, there's this crazy urban legend out there that we've got the machines on the internet. And I think the reason for that is, as a courtesy, we do have online uh, reporting of our election results on election night because voters are insistent on, on having everything in real time and they're not willing to wait a few days for us to count the votes. They want to see everything immediately. So mm -hmm. as a courtesy, we do present that information, but the internet doesn't tabulate the results. We put mm -hmm. those results out there, but they're not being tabulated on the internet. And mm -hmm. these machines are not connected to the internet. Well, I think that uh, is a perfect segue to my next question is that uh, if folks were required to count all ballots by hand, that would re result in fraud and would also delay election results by weeks. So obviously it's good that we have the ability to, to vote by machine, by machine, but later tabulate it by, uh, by, by um, officials at the polls. Well, back in 1940, Kentucky's voters voted to amend our Constitution to get away from the hand count of votes and move toward a machine count. And the reason for that is there was so much fraud and corruption and as, as well as honest error in hand counting votes that we, we had to fix it. It was broken. We had a broken system as part of how we fixed it. Uh, we actually just had a recount in uh, LaRue and Hart and Green counties. And the whole point of the recount was to test the equipment after the fact, which wasn't necessary, but we went ahead and did it. It turned out that the hand count took a long time because they kept making mistakes every mm -hmm. time they, they tried four times and every time they got a different result because people make mistakes. That's the whole point of automating this and having machines that are that are highly competent, but also objective. Mm -hmm. When you have individuals who are Democrats or Republicans counting votes, it gets a little suspect. It's a bad yeah. thing. So that's why we, like every other state in America, instead of hand counting our votes, we have computers do it. We'll return shortly to my interview with um, the Secretary of State as part of this uh, special episode of Vote Safe Kentucky. And in keeping with our title, I thought I would have some political trivia because listeners to my podcast, you know I love trivia, right? Trivia of all kinds. And I, I certainly appreciate those who've sent me some trivia to use in the past. And I pray and hope that that will continue. But consider this. In a few short weeks, when we go to cast our ballots, the system of democracy that we're following today was introduced 2,500 years ago in Athens, Greece. Consider that for a moment, that this sacred process of electing officials as part of a government that is verified by the sanctity of the ballot was first introduced when the first ballot was cast 2,500 years ago in Athens, Greece. Uh, here's another fun factoid. 
President George Washington, father of our country, George Washington, on the face of our dollar bill. Did you know that he grew marijuana in his garden? <laughs> I, um, I <laughs> He grew marijuana in his garden. And I, I could say something funny on that, but I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, actually, I'm going to uh, have authorities on the subject known as Cheech and Chong, who are certain that the marijuana that George Washington grew was for medicinal purposes only. <laughs> uh, let's see. Here's another fun factoid. The Queen of England, who once enjoyed extensive powers and authority over almost the entire world, and despite all her majesty and glory, is not allowed to enter the House of Commons simply because she was not a member. Imagine that, that a queen of England, once upon a time projecting power and influence around the world, countries would bow their knees at the, at the pomp and circumstance of the crown, that she was never allowed to enter the House of Commons because she was not a member elected by the people to represent them. And then our final piece of trivia for this break is as follows. Um, so when you when you consider a political leader, right, you usually think it's someone who tackles problems head on. And in theory, this means that a rhinoceros would be perfect for the job. So, okay, so let's 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 look, set the story up this way as well. Uh, the Democrats have a donkey, right? And the Republicans have an elephant. And so it seems logical that a party in Brazil would have a rhinoceros, right? Emblematic of that party. Except <laughs> it was not necessarily emblematic because uh, at the election of 1958, the people of, of Sao Paulo, Brazil, were so tired of rampant corruption that they voted for a rhinoceros. That's right. They voted for a rhinoceros named Cacarico, meaning rubbish, <laughs> to become a member of city council. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine that? You know, you, you got this. You got this rhinoceros, right? Not, not, a, not a symbol, but actually a candidate. And you got people out front going, "Vote for Cacarico. We want Cacarico. We want Cacarico." <laughs> and despite the fact that this was a rhinoceros, he actually gained a hundred thousand votes, which was perfect for the people of São Paulo, Brazil, in 1958, where they voted for the rhinoceros to protest rampant government corruption. <laughs> I find that endlessly fascinating. And now we're going to return to something else that I'm really enjoying. I hope you are too, which is interviewing Secretary of State Michael G. Adams in this special episode of Vote Safe Kentucky. When Kentucky votes, right, that you know, we have to verify the count, but it seems like we had the safest election in history in 2021, and yet there was so much, uh, it seemed like a lot of legislation reenacted for redistricting and for making the voting process safer. How does that correlate if it was, if it was already a safe election at the national and state level? Well, the thing that we were trying to be safe from in 2020 was COVID. Uh, and so I went to the legislature. I asked them to expand my authority as well as the governor's authority I'm a Republican. He's a Democrat. I thought that any changes should be done in a bipartisan fashion. Uh, and so 
by bipartisan vote. The legislature voted to give us that authority, and we used it to essentially redesign the system uh, to ensure that people could vote safely because mm-hmm. other states didn't. Uh, in other states, they had huge spikes in COVID-19 coming out of their in-person voting. People died because they voted. That's mm-hmm. pretty terrifying. We had no. that. Uh, we avoided that in Kentucky. We had no trace of COVID tied to our voting. That's partly because we expanded absentee voting for the pandemic, but it's also because we just reconfigured our, our process for in-person voting. We changed locations to find ones that were more amenable to social distancing. So mm-hmm. we've certainly made improvements to our laws since that time. But with respect to, to personal safety, those things were really one-time situations for 2020. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of personal safety, uh, we have uh, not only poll workers will be, I gather, more security provider for them, but also folks who are voting can also be rest assured that the secrecy of every, every ballot is ensured. How do you ensure the secrecy of every ballot? Well, number one, most votes in Kentucky are cast in person and the voter just walks right up to the ballot counter uh, with, with the ballot as well as the cover page to kind of cover up the ballot so no one can see it. Walks right up and then the machine will kind of suck in that ballot. Totally secret. That's how 96, 97 percent of voters in Kentucky vote is that way. The mm-hmm. other way voters can vote is by absentee ballot. And, and whether the ballot is mailed back or put in the drop box, the process is the same, which is there's two envelopes. There's an inner envelope and an outer envelope. And so when the outer envelope comes in the drop box or, or arrives by mail, the county clerk's office will verify the voter's signature on the outside envelope against the voter's signature of record on a driver's license or voter registration card, make sure it's legit, and then we'll cut open that envelope and take out the inner envelope and then put that into the bin essentially and throw away the outer envelope. Mm-hmm. And then those those inner envelopes contain ballots and they're all mixed up together in a big box and they're blind. So when those are then pulled out to be processed, no one knows whose ballot is whose. And so it's kept totally confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was a lot of this enacted uh, once you came into office uh, as you were, after you were elected in office or was some of these steps already in place? And you simply inherited them or you made them more robust? Well, absentee voting has been in our constitution as a right since 1945. And the the laws surrounding those were largely intact. And the first election I ever voted in, I voted by absentee ballot back in 1994 when I went away to to school. And so uh, most of that process was intact. But here's one improvement that we made. It used to be that uh, we didn't have every county on paper ballots. A lot of our counties were still on computerized machines. And so if you voted absentee, what you had to do was fill out a piece of paper and then put it in there, but it wasn't a real ballot. It was just basically notes. And then the county clerk would get that information and punch it into the machine. That's that's not as secure and confidential as having an actual ballot sent to you that you then execute and then put into an envelope that's protected so that's a better process. That's because we've transitioned the state toward paper ballots universally away from electronic machines. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the benefits there. The other big thing that we did is we implemented tracking. So now when you request your absentee ballot, you can actually track it online yourself and see where it is. You can see if the clerk got your application, see if the ballot was sent to you, and then see also if the ballot was received back. Mm-hmm. I remember when I voted absentee over the years, I'd call and bug the clerk's office. Did you get my ballot? 
to get my ballot. <laughs> now you don't have to do that anymore. We right. down their call volume. We made it easier for you to track your ballot online and just see where it is and make sure that they've got your vote and counted it. Mm-hmm. I think this uh, this ties back into when you were we when we visited together during the primary season. Uh, your analogy was I could order a package on Amazon and track it where I couldn't I couldn't track my vote. You know, whereas now you can do that. That's exactly right. You know, people's expectations are through the roof. They want everything in real time. They're used to that ordering a pizza or ordering a, you know something from Amazon or anything else. We want a, a high level of satisfaction with our system. We want government to be more like business. And so part of that is the kind of basic mechanisms that private industry has, like being able to track a ballot. Mm-hmm. I heard a, a a a piece of trivia the other night. I remember last time we visited uh, Secretary Adams. You also like history and trivia, and so the question was, uh, which country became the first right to give the first country to give women the right to vote? And so I'm thinking, like, and I, and I said, uh, I think it's about 1921, something like that, with the uh, the 19th Amendment. You know, I'm very proud of the fact the United States was the first country to give women the right to vote. And they said wrong. It was actually yeah. New Zealand in yeah. 1893. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. So I thought we were leader of the pack in 1920. Turns out we were bringing up the rear in 1893. <laughs> uh, sorry, in, in 1920 with the 19th Amendment. <laughs> Better life than uh, never. I know. I know. Uh, so back, and I'm sure Christine, your wife, appreciates that as well. The, the, the right, And many other women appreciate the right to, to vote. Which to me seems so ba- so backwards that they never had that right. Um, Secretary Adams, as, as, as we go to our close, I really liked reading about the fact that you maintain transparency and accountability by allowing the public to track the office, the spending of your office online. Is that a new concept? Well, it's something that uh, that is not new here. It's something that's relatively new, just because of the ability of of uh, the internet to have that sort of thing. Uh, documented, but we did this really seriously. We want people to know what we're up to. And uh, I'm really proud that we're the first Secretary of State to actually uh, de-link our office from taxpayers. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't uh, take a taxpayer dollar at all. Uh, We don't take any appropriations. We turn those away. Uh, And so we are fully self-reliant. We generate revenue off the services we provide Kentuckians. if you register a business, you pay a modest fee once a year to us uh, to do business in Kentucky. And we've been conservative with those resources and we've managed to actually uh, be fully self-reliant and just work off of that. But even though it's not taxpayer appropriated uh, money, we still make all of our spending available online so people can see what we're up to. You know, when you talk about decoupling from the state, I, like many other Kentuckians, assume that you were uh, a line item in the state budget, but sounds like you're running the Secretary of State's office like a business. Well, we, we are in the state budget. We do get authorization to receive these fees and then to spend the money, but we don't take taxpayer dollars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're not a line item. So basically, yeah. that's more of a, of a private uh, concept, private business concept than a public concept, which is which is interesting. Um, and then as we close, last, po- what, last question for you is that... Um, you know, voters are not required to vote in every contest on their ballot. That's on your website. Voters are not required to vote in every contest on their ballot. Uh, and you said this is called an undervote. What does that mean, Secretary Adams? Well, uh, one thing that people uh, mistakenly believe is that if you don't vote in every race, they throw your ballot out. That it's not 
true. You can walk in and vote in one race out of 30 if you want. By all means, vote in every race where you have a preference. But if you don't know the candidates in a race, there's no shame in just not voting in it if you choose. Mm-hmm. And so if you choose not to vote in it, again, it doesn't mean your vote is that you're that you're purged. It just meant you didn't see anybody on the car that you wanted to vote for on the on the down ballot, as it were. That's right. And, and another important fact for for your listeners is if you vote by straight ticket, then that will automatically vote for all the Republicans or all the Democrats on the ballot. But if you do that, you're not done yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still other races you can vote in. We've got local races that are nonpartisan. We've got uh, almost every judge in the state is up for election. Those are nonpartisan. And we have constitutional amendments, and those are nonpartisan. So if you choose to vote straight ticket, by all means, do that. But again, you're not done. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you're done if you want to be. But right. be aware that you've got about half the ballot left for you of all these other races to vote in. And then with so much uh, scrutiny and so much debate uh, on the web, online, et cetera, around voting machines, um, I I like the fact that here in Kentucky, anyways, election equipment is certified by the Election Assistance Commission and also the State Board of Elections, which certifies the equipment. So that of itself should underscore and give us much comfort that we can truly vote safe in Kentucky. Yes? Yeah, you know, people don't don't really understand all the work that goes into this, but every every piece of our equipment in Kentucky, every single machine is tested before we ever even get it. It's tested at the federal level and it's tested at the state level. And these are actually events that you can attend if you choose. They're open to the public. Every single county has an inspection before the election where they they run uh, sample ballots through the machine to make sure that they count them correctly. Uh, so we actually if you will, pre-audit our machines. We check them before we have people vote on them. Uh, But we also are implementing a process to audit after the fact. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll be implementing that in November. Uh, We're going to have a randomized audit uh, process that will be implemented. And so this should give all the voters confidence that the machines are accurately counting, that they're not uh, malfunctioning and they're not being hacked and they're not changing votes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, that's an urban legend with no truth to it. But we we expect Mm -hmm. voters... Uh, we understand they won't just necessarily trust the government all the time. So we want to show our math. We want to mm-hmm. uh, produce an audit and verify these numbers are accurate. Well, again, I hope our listeners have enjoyed enjoyed the, my interview with Secretary of State Michael G. Adams. Secretary Adams, we truly appreciate your time stopping by because, as you said, and as we can agree, we have all of these urban myths out there. But at the end of the day, if people just simply go, take the time and research just how safe their vote is, I think that underscores your your motto, Vote Safe Kentucky. Thank you so much, sir, for your time. I truly appreciate it. Thanks. Anytime. As we go to our close for this special edition of my podcast series, Aging with Grace, this episode, Vote Safe Kentucky, I want to stay in the same vein of political trivia as follows. Richard Nixon. Seems like Richard Nixon was so good at playing poker that most of his first campaign for the House of Representatives was funded by poker winnings from serving his time serving in the U.S. Navy. So imagine this. They're out in the seven seas floating around and, and 
as sailor Richard Nixon. Maybe it was Dick Nixon. I don't know. But he was so good at playing poker that he amassed enough money to fund his campaign for the House of Representatives, his first run, using only his winnings from his time serving in the U.S. Navy. You know, maybe there's something to that. Uh, remember that campaign slogan, Tricky Dick? I don't know. So let's let's move on. Let's let's go a little bit deeper into history. Um, here's a nice little tidbit. Of all things, President Andrew Jackson's tombstone, President Jackson of the United States, 1829 to 1837. Did you know that his tombstone does not mention that he served? as the seventh president of the United States. Can you imagine that? That in this his tombstone card for all eternity omits the fact that he was president. But guess what else is on there? Guess what other titles are on there? Uh, let's take a few. Uh, let's take a few guests here. Uh, I know. I know. Yes, lawyer. Exactly. I know. Over here. Over here. Please. 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 Yes, planter. Exactly. General. Yes. Statesman. Yes. Uh, recognized as for, for leading, winning the Battle of New Orleans. Yes, Justice of the Supreme Court of Tennessee. Yes, all of those things are listed, except the fact that he was president of the United States. I sincerely doubt somebody forgot, right? They're chiseling the, the tombstone, and they just forgot to put that on there. I'm sure that didn't happen. I think someone said, don't include it. But I don't know that either. So if someone else likes trivia as much as I do and you want to dig into this, please send me the answer. That's Dale, D-A-L-E, at awg55.com. Because this is certainly one of those things that make you go, hmm, right? I don't know. It does me anyway. So here's a final one for you. Let's go. To, this is a really good one. Let's go to the, uh, let's see, here we go. U.S. President Franklin Pierce. He was the 14th president of the United States, 1853 to 1857. He was actually arrested during his term as president. Do you think it was for political malfeasance? No. Do you think it was something that he did illegal? No. It seems like President Franklin Pierce was arrested for running over what the history books call an old lady, with his horse. Now, I'm not saying old lady, but the history books say, because I would say senior citizen, right? But he was arrested during his term, President Franklin Pierce, because he ran over an old lady with his horse. But later, the charges were dropped. (laughs) I'm not laughing at it because it could have been tragic, right? But let's use our imaginations for a minute. So you've got what the history books call an old lady. (laughs) She's in the crosswalk, right? And here comes the president of the United States. He's galloping on his horse, and all of a sudden, whap! Okay, maybe that wasn't fair to the horse, denying of the horse, but he smacks this old lady and knocks her down. And later, the charges were dropped. Something from the obscure bins of history books and maybe that little factoid I should have left it over there gathering dust. (laughs) But In any event, we have to close our show for today. And I truly appreciate everyone spending your time and stopping by to enjoy this special edition of Vote Safe Kentucky on my podcast series, Aging with Grace 55 Plus, made possible by todaystransitions.com. Todaystransitions.com. You can visit that website to read articles that can help you navigate 
your own transitions. And of course, AARP Kentucky with a shout out to Scott Wegenast. Appreciate you, buddy, for uh, AARP supporting our podcast series. And then finally, DPL Financial. DPLFP.com is where you can go to find tools to help you enjoy and plan for your retirement. Online tools are there 24-7 to help you build towards a financially secure future. And then last but not least, as we go to our close, I want to leave you with the thoughts from James Clear, as we always do, which is good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. So until next time, this has been your host, Dale Josie, the podcast series Aging with Grace 55+. Plus. 